things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you at the very least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, okay? You can check me out in the audio stratosphere. You can check me out officially on YouTube as of January 9th, this past Monday. It's the Stephen A. Smith podcast channel for No Mercy on YouTube. By the way, we're here in the studio thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. There's a lot of things we want to get into. I couldn't wait to get into this podcast because the title, the theme of today's podcast is politically incorrect. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to admit to you, I don't fantasize much, but I can't front. There are many, many times that I find myself fantasizing about being able to get away with being politically incorrect. Now, some people will listen to me and they'll be like this, damn it, I'll be damned if that applies to you, Stephen A. You run your damn mouth with political incorrectness. You certainly loud as hell. That ain't politically correct. You say what you feel, how you feel it. You don't give a damn about what people think or feel. That's politically incorrect. They'll say all of that about me. But I got news for you. My guest today is going to be Bill Maher from HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. I got news for you. I wish I could be as politically incorrect as Bill Maher. Oh, I wish I could pull that off. I work for the mouse. I work for Disney. Now, this podcast is mine, and I do what I want to do, and I got all of that. I can curse. I can do a lot of things that you would never see me doing over the airwaves in my day job. But nevertheless, I have worked for Mickey Mouse for damn near 20 years now. You can't just say what you want to say like that. You got to be PC. You got to follow FCC rules and regulations. You can't just say stuff like that. Bill Maher don't have that problem. He don't have that problem. And I got to admit, there's an incredible level of admiration I have for people in his position because they are few and far between. People like him, people like Howard Stern and various others, they ain't got to worry about that kind of stuff. And there is a freedom that comes with that. But I believe along the way there's also, is a, there's also a responsibility that comes along with it. You see, when you're politically incorrect, that means you can say what you want to say, how you want to say it, and you don't have to give two shits about what anybody thinks or feels about it. And you good. You good. Because what's going to happen to you? They can either watch or they don't watch. But you ain't got to worry about losing your job. You ain't got to worry about advertisers and sponsors running for cover. It's widely understood who you are, what you bring to the table, what you represent, and people know what they're signing on to. And that gives you a freedom, devoid of excuses, to say what the hell you want and operate with impunity. 
So when you see folks showing up on Capitol Hill and they don't know how to act, and you got 20 congressional figures that are Republicans holding up 200 to 201 other officials for one for the same damn party. For the same damn party. You can sit up there and say, if you're Stephen A, it's irresponsible. You can sit up there and call it unpatriotic. You can sit up there and call it childish. If you're Stephen A, if you're Bill Moore or Howard Stern or somebody, you can say they're a bunch of assholes. And you can get away with that. See the difference? You can sit up there and go off calling them some effing clowns. And I'm talking about saying the word and spelling it out, not just abbreviating it the way that I just did. You can do stuff like that. You don't answer necessarily to a higher power because that higher power capitulates to you because they've given you the license to say what the hell you want to say, how you want to say it, when you want to say it. Devoid of an attachment to people who could cut off the cord at any given moment. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the world that we're living in right now, the advent of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all these things. If you look at different outlets that aren't terrestrial, like terrestrial radio or that aren't on linear television, you see this stuff proliferating before our very eyes, growing in stature and significance and muscle. Why? You know why? Because people aspire to have those freedoms. And they're looking for an opportunity to grab hold of it. They don't want to just go to work every day and collect a check. They don't want to just be successful and collect money so they could go home while elevating their quality of life. The work that they actually do, they want to feel a level of freedom in doing it. Devoid of the fear, the hesitancy, the restrictions that plague most people in this world. When we think about what's going on in this day and age right now, you understand that's really what's happening, right? What's really, really happening at the end of the day is that we're all aspiring to gather and grow our own platform so we'll have the freedom necessary to shine as much as we want, to operate with a degree of impunity where we ain't worried about much. When we talk about being unleashed, that's what we're talking about. That's what people are after. It's what my next guest pulled off. January 20th is the debut of the 21st season of HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. You're talking about a man that doesn't need votes, doesn't require votes, doesn't have to have a constituency. Doesn't have to worry about advertisers and sponsors. Doesn't have to worry about the political apparatus raining down upon him in such a way that he suddenly becomes so fearful and reticent about saying what the hell he feels that he's damn near muzzled. Nobody operates with complete impunity. 
Nobody's a fool here. We all understand that. But when we talk about layers of freedom in the world of communications, where you have a license to say what the hell you want without giving two shits about what anybody thinks, it doesn't get much closer to that than Bill Maher. That's why I'm fascinated to talk to him next, especially in light of all the nonsense that's been going on over the last year, over the last months, over the last few weeks in the streets of America and Capitol Hill. If anybody can speak truth to power about what's really going on, it was really plaguing this nation. It was really getting on our last damn nerves. It's Bill Maher. He's up next with no mercy. Trust me on this. You don't want to touch that down. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? For over four decades, my next guest has used his acerbic political commentary to call out everybody, both on the left and the right of the political aisle. Comedy Central named him one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time. He is the host of HBO's Real Time, entering its 21st season on January 20th. By the way, a confession, I never miss that show, ever. And it's the only show I'm scared as hell of going on. But I'm talking about my buddy right now. Please welcome the man himself, the incomparable, Bill Maher. What's up, big time? How are you doing, man? How's everything? I, I'm having great flashbacks from when you were here at Club Random. I, I had <laughs> such a good time with you. We got to do it again. Listen, anytime, first of all, and secondly, I got to make a confession right here for everybody to see, something that I've never said before. I think I was a little high, Bill. I think I was a little high because I got to tell you something. I don't. I didn't smoke any weed, but I got a contact high, Bill. I got to admit it, Bill. I just got to admit it, man. That is the secret of my success is getting people <laughs> high with a contact high, yeah. But it was great. You were great. And I never miss well, your show you. either. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. The 21st season, January 20th, real time. Um, how do you feel still doing this show after all of this time? How, how much are you enjoying it? How much do you love the fact that it's clearly impactful on our political society? What are your thoughts about all of that? Yeah, I wouldn't do it anymore if I didn't <laughs> love it because, you know, I have enough money. I'm not a spender, you know. I got a nice house. Um, I live pretty simply. You know, people ask me when I bought a little piece of the Mets, as you recall, like, how did you yeah. how did you get the money to buy into a baseball team in New York? <laughs> and I was like, uh, no marriages, no divorces, no alimony, no kids, no stupid hobbies, <laughs> no bling, no cars, no motorcycles, no heroin, no hookers, no cocaine. You know, that's how. I live pretty simply. So I don't really need anything. I do this because I love it. There's no better job in the world, I think, than the one I have it, which is, uh, and and it's also because I feel like I sort of have the field to myself these days. Everybody is either so in one camp or the other that there is this thirst for mm -hmm. someone who can just talk common sense down the middle, middle about political matters. Um, and you're right. I will call out the left and the right. I always have. I just call out the left more these days because they went crazier in the last five years. Mm. 
You know, it's interesting because I, I was getting ready to bring up what, what do you love about it so much, but I want to get to that for a quick second. Some people would say the right is crazier than the left, but you, a leftist in a lot of people's eyes, would say the opposite. You feel like the left has lost their damn mind over the last five years or so. Be specific about that. How do you feel the left has lost its mind? Why do you say that? Okay, well, first of all, <laughs> the right is still more crazy than the left. I never said they weren't. Okay. Uh, Okay. No, as long as they don't believe in democracy and they don't believe in the emergency of climate change, uh, they will never get me to join their team, although they certainly try. But the left certainly has, has gone too far with socialism, cancel culture, too sensitive, um, too much indoctrinating uh, children with uh, concepts of race and sexual matters that they are unprepared and too young to understand. Um, all that kind of stuff, I think, is what makes people pause when they go into the voting booth. I mean, the Democrats did well in the last election, mostly because, as we were just saying, the right is scarier. I mean, the American people, I would never accuse them of being terribly sharp politically, but they did get it that the one thing we should cling to is that we are a democracy. And one party ran on a platform of, we don't believe in elections. They ran on a platform of, I lost? That can't be right. And <laughs> that is not the way you can run a railroad. Mm -hmm. But Bill, what about the notion that some people on the right, this is what some people on the right would say. You know, when you support somebody like a Donald Trump, for example, or what have you, it wasn't so much about him, Stephen. It's about Washington and the cesspool that it is. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. And finally, somebody was willing to speak out against that cesspool that exists in the nation's capital. Now, my attitude is Bill Maher's been doing that for decades. You didn't need somebody like Trump to come along and try to do that. But in, in their eyes, somebody like him, that's the reason they gravitated towards him. What do you say to that? Well, yes, I understand that. Uh, I always say this about Trump, a couple of things. One, you can hate him, but you can't hate everybody who likes him. It's half the country. Mm -hmm. I also understand why people vote for Donald Trump because of that stuff I was just mentioning. Because the democratic issues are a little more abstract to the average Joe. You know, Donald Trump was impeached twice. He deserved it twice. What he did with Ukraine yes, was completely impeachable. Certainly trying to undo an election is completely impeachable. But those things are rather distant to people's lives. But when you're talking about your kids coming home and saying, mommy, am I a racist? And you're four. <laughs> Do you even know what the word means? I don't know, mommy. They, you know, they divided the class this week into oppressors and oppressees. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff. Or am I a boy or a girl? Do I get to choose? Again, you're five years old. Could we wait on this stuff a little bit? That kind of stuff is right in your home. So it, given that choice, I do understand why people sometimes pull the lever for a guy as loathsome as Donald Trump. I think the biggest misunderstanding about Trump, this is what I've heard from people who vote for him and who like him. Some of them do like him, but I've heard people say to me more than one time, what you don't understand is we don't like him either. We don't like mm. him, but we are still going to vote for him because the other side scares us more. I think that's really important to remember.
Why can't the Democrats hear this message? I mean, you are a supporter of this. You try to help them help themselves. Every week, I see yes. you do it. And somehow, some yes. way, they don't seem to hear that. What the hell is wrong with them when it comes to that? Why is that so difficult? Uh, Twitter, I think, is the short answer to that question. You know, I think mm. they they go by what is written on Twitter and not what real people believe. And most people are not on Twitter. Twitter is not Americans, and yet they're cowed by it. Twitter has an amazing, intimidating factor going for it. Um, I would never say that Elon Musk uh, handled the takeover of Twitter perfectly. He made a lot of missteps and a lot of really unforced errors and bonehead plays in doing that. But I got to give him a lot of credit. He understood one very basic thing. Twitter is the heart of the wokeness problem. It is the tip of the spear for this phenomenon that has upended American politics and our cultural life as well. So I give him all the credit in the world for trying to take on the thing that if we don't take on, um, again, people don't really believe some of this nonsense. They are just intimidated by Twitter. If somebody goes on Twitter and says, I am a better person than you because X, Y, and Z, and you said this, and it's really a lot of nothing. Um, I mean, I see Billy Bush is in trouble for the most innocuous joke I've ever heard in my life, but he has to answer for this. And this goes on, I'm just mentioning him because this happened a couple of days ago, but mm. I mean, every week, there are people who you see who have to answer to Twitter, and somehow the Democratic politicians don't get it through their head. And some of them, like Andrew Yang, have been smart enough to say, ignore it. Go to the voters. Go to the people. It's not, I think, I think uh, the mayor of New York said it best. He said something like, we want to deal with social issues, not social media. Social security, right. not social media. But, you know, they don't seem to be able to resist. Well, I remember when you said, I remember because obviously new rules are something that I don't miss. I mean, I watch a show, but I TiVo. I mean, I tape and record new rules every single time. I don't miss new rules, uh, okay? One of the greatest you. segments in the history of television, as far as I'm concerned, because it's always poignant. And I remember one time, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you were talking about the extremes are on the corners, on the, on the edges, like... Five to seven percent. They talk about people that are just crazy on the right and crazy on the left, and the rest of us are in the middle. Right. But that's who the folks, that's who the nation hears, and that's who folks are capitulating to. So where, where's the end game? How does that get resolved, Bill Maher? How do we? Stop I don't know how it? it gets resolved. I don't. I don't know how it gets resolved. But but that is epitomized by what we just saw happening in Congress. Twenty Republicans. I was getting ready to go there. Stopped. Yeah, stopped a Republican who who already is very, very conservative. Kevin McCarthy is already yes. a far-right <laughs> conservative, and he wasn't good enough for 20 people who held that up and now have a gun to his head. And basically, they don't have a Speaker of the House in Congress. He is there in title only, but they can stop him or get rid of him at the drop of a hat if they don't get their way. Yes, that's the great question that you asked, and I don't know the answer to that. How do you stop 
the far fringes from, from holding the rest of the country hostage. It does seem to be what, when historians look back on our history, if there is one to look back on, they'll have to ask that question and try to solve it. How did we get to this place where we lost the middle? Because we are the majority, I think. I mean, yeah. when I talk to people, when we people are. come up to me, yeah, they're always saying that this very thing. And yet when it comes to it, again, they're so intimidated uh, by the fringes that they just capitulate. Mm. Are you fearful that the fringes on the left are going to get Trump reelected? Yes, it's certainly possible. Now, I read today... When Trump is against DeSantis as a, in a one-on-one -on -one in the primaries, DeSantis wins. But if there's a second Republican, say Chris Christie got in the race, then the anti-Trump vote is divided and Trump would be the nominee. Now, whether he is elected, I don't know. I mean, he's certainly a loser, as we know. I mean, he won one yes. election. Really, he pulled an inside straight. I mean, it was really lucky how he won that election. He had everything going for him. Hillary Clinton didn't go to Wisconsin, didn't campaign in Pennsylvania. We know the story. Russia got involved. Yes, they did. I know people think that's a hoax. It's not a hoax. They were involved. Everything broke right for Donald Trump. He is a lucky guy. We got to admit that. I don't think that's going to happen again, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't admit when he loses anyway. <laughs> so, you know, this, this is my great worry about the 2024 election, if he is the nominee, because trust me, on Inauguration Day, January 20th, 2025, he's going to show up. Yeah, make no mistake. <laughs> I'm about sounding it. like I'll you, tell you now. This much, though. i tell you this much, Bill. i, I tell you this. I, I, I believe that the Democrats, I think that D Donald Trump would scare this nation so much and they would be scared of the civil strife we saw in the streets of America uh, prior to, to prior to his downfall during the presidency that I think that Ron DeSantis is a different animal. I don't know if there's a Democratic candidate, whether it's Biden, it's Kamala Harris or anybody else that can beat Ron DeSantis, because I don't think he gives you the ammunition that Trump has to take him down. All you can go against is his policies, and we know at least half of America agrees with those policies. That's how I view him. How do you you view Ron DeSantis? Yeah, in a similar way. Uh, look, I'm not sure who Ron DeSantis really is. I know he's a smart politician, and he's not a dumb guy. He's Harvard and Yale military. He's got an impressive record, and he handled the COVID epidemic in a much more impressive way than a lot of governors did. He read, right. the, he read the scientific literature on it. He protected the vulnerable mm -hmm. population, especially, and let everybody else go on living, which is exactly what I was saying we should do. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. doctors said the same thing. It was not the policy of the United States of America or a medical mm -hmm. establishment, and that's why I had a lot of problems with that. But during the uh, pandemic and, and when it was still going on and I was still a finally able to travel in June of 2021, I think it was, when we got mm -hmm. back on the road and I would go right. to Florida, it was night and day different from here in California where everything was boarded up and everybody was unhappy and afraid of this horrible plague. And in Florida, it was like it did, didn't even exist. Uh, no, it does <laughs> exist. It's a real thing. But right. we handled it wrong and I thought he handled it better. And then there was the... Uh, they just recently had hurricanes there. He handled that well. In other words, he does the Republican performative arts 
like Trump does. Mm. He takes on these cultural issues. He goes a little overboard talking about them. How much of this of this of what he's saying is sincere, or how much is it just playing to the base? I don't know. What I know is he's got the base, you know, mm. so he can do that part of it. Now during the campaign, he he campaigned for election deniers. That to me is a big strike against him. But look, <laughs> what can I say? Uh, if, if there's two choices, I, I would much rather have him than Donald Trump. I got to tell you this. I said right on this podcast that the Republicans should be embarrassed because so many of them act like they need Trump. Uh, Liz Cheney, who they ousted because she was on the January 6th committee, uh, she voted 93% of the time aligned. She was aligned with Trump. 92% of the time, Ted Cruz was aligned with them. More than likely, DeSantis's policies would be aligned with what Trump would, uh, implemented while he was the president. You don't need him. You shouldn't need to be able to need him in order to beat an 82-year-old uh, Joe Biden, if he would have run for re-election, or if Kamala Harris was the Democratic nominee, which I know that you've spoken out against in the past. To that, what say you? Well, first of all, you mentioned Liz Cheney. That's uh, that's a great barometer for judging how Democrats look at Republicans. Uh, I say her name now sometimes when I'm doing my stand-up act around the road. It gets a round of applause from the audience. Mm -hmm. And again, this is somebody who, uh, before... The impeachment went on, and Liz Cheney was a person with backbone who did the right thing. Uh, she was one of the most hated Republicans there was because there's very, very, very little uh, politically that you could say about what Liz Cheney believes that the average Democrat and certainly the average liberal believes. And yet now mm -hmm. she gets a round of applause. This is what I call a as good as it gets Republican, okay? And this is something that I think liberals have to understand because they have a reputation, rather rightly deserved, of being very self-righteous. And what they have to get through their head is, first of all, you're never going to own or destroy the other side. They're not going to self-deport, okay? This is a very big country with lots of people who don't think like you at all. And... Mm. You just have to accept that. And they're not evil for it. Just because people disagree with you politically doesn't mean they are Satan. And I think they found that out with Liz Cheney, or at least they believe that now. And they certainly have to just get that through their head about a lot of Republicans. As good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. Right. The Republicans who who stood up to the, the assault on democracy, that's as good as it gets. But they're not going to agree with you on a host of other issues, probably almost all of mm -hmm. them. And, and that's where we are. I mean, conservative, when you think about that word conservative, to me, it's really a personality type. That's my experience in life. Mm -hmm. A conservative is a personality, and the politics usually comes out of that's your personality. Of course, it has to also do a lot with upbringing and where you were raised, where you're from, stuff like that. But in general, it's a personality type, and you shouldn't hate mm -hmm. people for that. Some people gotcha. are just squares. They're just conservatives. And that's okay. There's a place for that's them. Okay. And we got to stop the hate.
I totally agree with you, 1,000%. Um, a lot of noise was being made about the files found in uh, Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Uh, what about the files found in Joe Biden or, or some of his people found some files that he may have had or whatever the case may be? Is that a big deal or is that much to do about nothing in your eyes? I'm just hearing about it. I just read about it uh, for the first time today. It, it sounds to be to me like it's probably nothing. It sounds like whataboutism. It sounds like... You know, this is the problem with America. Nobody can ever look at any issue and just try to find the truth. What they do is they find something and they go, this is one for our team. You know, it's what I call, is this something politics? Is this something? Is this anything? We, we've got this. Is it? Is it? Oh, no? Okay, then I'll find something else. Do, does anybody who reports this story, the Times will probably underplay this. Uh, the New York Post will probably overplay this, you know, mm. and really it's probably somewhere in the middle. Should he have had documents any more than Trump should? Of course not. Mm. But the difference is, I think, probably also huge. Trump purposely took those documents and then didn't care for them. He put them in the shed where they keep the croquet equipment at Mar-a-Lago. It was ridiculous. <laughs> right. um, whereas Biden, this sounds like an oversight, a bureaucratic oversight. It sounds like just people don't do their jobs well anymore, lots of them. They just forget yeah. things, and there's a lot of quiet well, quitting, and, you know, don't get me started on, on work ethics. So no that sounds like what it is to me, and what's in these documents, I don't know. First of all, there are zillions of government documents that are marked classified that are really not deserving of being be classified. Things are so overclassified in our bureaucracy. So whether it's anything, I don't know. It's about zillionth on my list of what matters right now in America. With that being said, before I let you get on out of here, a lot of things that you just articulated, that could be a cause for frustration. Nevertheless, you and you love doing real time every week. You love I doing do. that. You love tackling these issues. Obviously, you have to be aware of the fact that you're having an impact and you're making a difference because the, the you know just the whole political apparatus that exists in this country. Everybody knows who you are, and everybody knows they have to pay attention and and be mindful of what you have to say and how you feel about issues. Considering the level of frustration, it could easily accord to somebody else. Why is it that it doesn't affect you that way, and you still enjoy what you do so much? Well, it does affect me. I just don't let it okay. show. You know, I mean, that, lots of stuff affects me, absolutely. But I'm from a different era. You know, nowadays, uh, the younger generations, everything is you wear it on your sleeve. Um, the highest calling in life very often is to be a victim. Um, that's just not how we were raised in my generation. You know, I mean, I never missed one show until they made me miss a couple because I tested positive for COVID, even though I wasn't mm. sick at all, but that was the protocol. But until then, I mean, I did politically incorrect for nine years. I'd been on real time for 20. So in 29 years, I never missed a show. Was I sick for wow. some of those shows? Absolutely. It used to be a badge of honor to work sick. Now it's like the worst thing you could ever do. It's ridiculous. So, you know, things do affect me, but I soldier on because, you know, there are zillions of people who have harder jobs than me, like Marines, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I, I think I'm the luckiest person in the world to be able to get to do what I do. And so, um, you know, they come after me every week. I mean, from both mm. left and right. Um, right. It's, there's a, a lot job. more stress. Yeah, I'm coming a off a vacation job. now. And I know that I will, you know, 
be in a different sort of health place in a few weeks because I'm going back into Stressville. But what's yeah. the alternative? Quit? They'll have to carry yeah. me out. <laughs> Real time with Bill Maher, HBO, entering its 21st season starting January 20th. It is an honor and a privilege to talk to you, my man. It was an honor and privilege to be a guest on your podcast. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it, despite the contact high I received. Actually, that might have been a reason I enjoyed it so much. So thank you so much, man, and I can't wait to talk to you again sometime down the line. Can't wait to be on your show one of these days. Thank you so much for giving me your time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Love you, bro. Anytime. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Thanks again to the great Bill Maher, host of HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. Entering his 21st season, officially January 20th. I can't wait. Um, You know, what do you say? What points did he make that you could argue, that you could argue with? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. I'm a registered independent for a reason. I don't trust none of them. I've always said that. I'm fiscally conservative. And I'm socially liberal. I don't have any desire to impede on anyone's gay, uh, anyone's rights in the gay community, in a transgender community. Do I believe in having safe borders? Yes. Do I believe in immigrants entering this country legally? I'm all for it. Only reason I'm against illegal immigration is because, excuse me, if you ain't a registered citizen in some capacity or with a visa or something, you ain't paying your taxes. And if you ain't paying your taxes, we paying for you. Damn it, you up in here getting money in the American system. Guess what? Pay into it just like the rest of us. That's my philosophy. That's all. But I'd be damned if I'm against immigration. Hell no. I love the Hispanic community and other communities throughout this nation too much to have that kind of attitude. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not white. And so when I look at the white populace that was in the plus 80 percentile once upon a time, a couple of decades ago, that's now dwindled to 60% and sliding, and the fear, which I believe is justified, that white America might have as it, as it uh, pertains to the dissipation of their populace in this country. I understand it. I just don't share it because I'm a black man. And as a black person, we got our own issues. As a community. We ain't even the dominant minority anymore. So I see that. And although I'm sensitive to a whole bunch of groups and I'm very liberal in my thinking. And I support all of them. In the same breath, it hasn't been lost on me that racism appears to be at the bottom of the totem pole. Xenophobia is a priority. Homophobia is a priority. Transphobia is a priority. There's a whole bunch of things that have become a bigger issue in this country rather than black-white relations. Don't think I haven't noticed. But having said all of that, Knowing how liberal I can be in my thinking when it comes to social issues, 
I'll be damned if I don't agree with Bill Maher when he says the left is going too far. You might have survived during this past election for congressional and and senatorial seats, but for the presidency, I think the only thing that could get Trump reelected is if the left gets too excessive with some of the stuff that folks want to do and some of the stuff that they want to prioritize in this cancer culture. My man, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, came right on this podcast and spoke about how adamantly against he is and emphatically against he is of cancer culture. Can't make mistakes. Make one, you got to go. It's ridiculous. We've become a very unforgiving society. It's like we've gotten a high off of who we can help get canceled. You say something wrong, you do something wrong. Damn it, that person got to be fired. Yes, they lost their job. Yes, they're fired. Yes, they can't feed their family. It's like you got people that's enjoying that. We lost our damn minds. And because of that, folks on the right who are entirely too extreme themselves actually appear reasonable from time to time because of the extremities on the left. Bill Maher's right about that. Without question. And I'll be getting into all of that stuff in the days and the weeks and the months to come right here on No Mercy because I ain't scared. I'm going to be responsible. I'm not trying to be acerbic. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm certainly not trying to be incendiary. But damn, somebody got to speak some truth like Bill Maher. I'm a fan. Man is incredibly knowledgeable, smart as a whip, knows his stuff. And contrary to what people want to get on him about because he's atheist and he doesn't have, quote unquote, some kind of religious beliefs, unless you believe atheism is a religion. He's fair. And he calls it on both sides. When liberals or Democrats get on his damn nerves, he says so. When Republicans or conservatives get on his damn nerves, he says so. So we can ask. So we can ask. It's what we should want. It's what we should wish for. From a whole bunch of people, not just him. Actually, it's wrong for us to leave him standing by his damn self. We need to help him. We need to assist him. We need to be an assistance to the kind of stuff that he's kind of he's trying to bring attention to. To get back to the center. To be reasonable. To understand that just because you care about everybody doesn't mean that you have to go so overboard that you want everybody canceled at the slightest thing. And if you're on the right, just because you have conservative views, don't make you a racist. My mama, God rest her soul, always voted Democrat. Without question. It was never a thought. I got two nephews sitting by my side. That was their grandmama. They would confirm for anybody who listened. I don't give a damn how my mother voted. That woman was conservative. It wasn't a whole bunch of uh, 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 all this liberal stuff going on in the Smith household. Not 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 the house my mama ran. Live and let live. Do what you want to do. You know, no. Defund the police. 
hell with 911 and all of this other stuff. Not my mama. Not my mama. You black be sensitive to black issues. So guess what? If you want a jury or whatever, you know, this person, they can, you should understand why they committed a crime. You're not putting them in jail. Not my mama. My mama served jury duty. That brother doing time. He doing time. Because if you robbed the store and you committed a crime, you got to do the time. That was my mama. As black people, that's most of our mamas. It's most of our daddies. We know. So when I listen to Bill Maher and I think about his commitment to fairness, doesn't mean he's always right. Doesn't mean he can't be challenged on his thinking. But what's his goal? What's his agenda? His agenda is to bring sensibility to weed out the fringes and to focus everybody on coming to the center. Because that's where compromise, negotiation, discussion and dialogue and ultimately civility comes into play. And then we don't have to worry about a lot of stuff we worried about. That's what Bill Maher was speaking about in the 20 plus minutes he was on No Mercy. I hope y'all got the message because I'll be damned if I didn't. I most certainly did. Thanks again to Bill Maher for being on the show. Thanks to you all for listening. Appreciate your time as always. Remember, No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. It's the Stephen A. Smith podcast. No Mercy on YouTube. Check it out. You can also hear me in the audio stratosphere. Check your listings on the Odyssey Network. You can find me wherever you can find a podcast. It's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least. And knowing me, I'll do a little bit more than that. I ain't going nowhere. I'm just getting warmed up. I'm new to this podcast world, and I'm loving it. People like Bill Maher make it so. I wasn't lying, by the way. I really did end up with a contact high as I reflect on it. I mean, I was drinking a little Hennessy and Coke. I ain't fronting, man. But I don't smoke no weed. I do stay off the weed. But in that case, he was smoking so much of it, I think I got a contact high. I can't front. Ladies and gentlemen, breaking news. Stephen A. was high. It wasn't my fault. I didn't smoke no weed. But that damn contact when I showed up at Club Random, that was real. I might have been high. Oh, well. Forgive me. After all, I do every, end every show by asking, by telling y'all anyway. You don't have to know sports to know mercy. Show me a little mercy for being high. Until next time, y'all. Peace and love. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.
Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it.